come out of, of a trade and, and, and make this kind of salary to be able to start, you know, being, uh, you know, start a family and be productive in your community? Or do you want to be working somewhere where you're having to pay off, takes you a couple of years to pay off your school debt? But the biggest thing that construction companies can do is just challenge their local communities to ensure that skilled trades are available in the local schools. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction innovation and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is James Chestnut. James is the Senior Vice President of Nuclear Operations for Day and Zimmerman's Open Shop Business Unit. In this role, he is responsible for fossil and nuclear maintenance, value, and QAQC services. James is a second generation nuclear worker with 40 years of experience in construction, design modification, outage management, and maintenance in the power industry. Welcome to the show, James. Hey, thank you. It's great to be on here. Yeah, looking forward to the the conversation. So I always love to get uh, kind of people's origin story of, of how you ended up in the, the construction industry and, and what what appealed to you about the, the industry and the space? Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, when I think about my story, I really don't think about it as being anything special. But then as I tell others about it, they go, you know, wow, how does that happen? So I'll tell you a little bit about my story. I was born and raised down in South Georgia, right on the Chattahoochee River. And I was a rancher, a horse rancher. Right. And uh, growing up as a horse rancher, you, you got involved with things like cattle and farming and uh you know, and all of those, all of those uh, uh, type of ag agriculture type activities, and that seems to be the focus of the schools. That's the focus of the community. That's the focus of the churches. It's all around agriculture. And uh, it was interesting as I was getting on into high school, my dad uh, <clears throat> was was started working at a nuclear power facility that was being built right on the Chattahoochee River, kind of help offset, you know, our uh, portfolio, so to speak, bring a little extra income into the house. And he started as a uh, journeyman carpenter and uh, was working night shift and was you know, doing pretty good. And then as he started getting more familiar with the power facility, started, you know, growing up through it as I graduated high school, you know, he uh, got me involved in the uh, to go over and get a job at this nuclear power facility. And one of the things that I was most uh, skilled at was painting. Because during the off-season months of the agriculture season, one of the things that we would do, because we had such amount of, of uh, pastures, is that we would sandblast and spray paint farming equipment and get them ready for the next season. And I got very good at it. Studied it, learned how to apply the paint material, learned how to use all the equipment. And it just so happened this nuclear power facility was hiring painters. Me being 18 years old, went into a union environment, most all of my peers were in their high, uh, you know, upper 20s, 30s. And I came in and, and I painted everyone during my testing. And they just could not believe that I had such a skill at an 18-year-old. And I told them, I said, you know, basically my dad and I had been doing this since I was about 14. So that's really what got me into the business. And I'm working at this two-unit, you know, 2,100-megawatt uh, facility, bigger than anything that I'd ever seen. And uh, it was just amazing to walk into a huge facility like that and just be someone from an agricultural community. Yeah, 
I love that. I I didn't know the the uh, Georgia connection here as well too. I'm sitting literally right on the Chattahoochee right now, so I uh, I love the Chattahoochee. There's something in the water there for sure. <laughs> for sure, yes. That's awesome. Uh, so how does someone who re- really started their uh, career in the journeyman painter and how, how do you rise up to executive position and and then kind of second part of that what message do you have for young uh, skill trade workers coming into the industry today well so the story goes is that you know coming from a a, a community an agriculture community you know you you were either had the opportunity to go to college or you did Right. And it's just one of those opportunities where I didn't have the opportunity to go to college because my family w- was a, a, a blue collar, you know, working family. And so uh, as we started to find our way out of the agricultural community and find our way to be more interested into this power plant that's being built, uh, you know, what came with that was the ability to have a little more money. Right. And uh, so things that I couldn't afford as a younger individual, I was able to afford now as I was getting into 18, 19, 20 years old, ability to buy my own car and, uh, and, uh, do other things. So one of the things that I learned was, is this power facility had so much more to offer. Right. And so as we were in the construction phase of it, you know, eventually we built, we built them and they went into operation, but I only knew construction and I was watching all of my my pals and my buddies that I had met during this construction phase, and they were moving off out of South Georgia, South Alabama to Virginia, Kansas, uh, the Carolinas, moving on to other facilities that's under construction and doing the same things that we were doing. So I followed that path myself and ended up in Kansas at a facility that was about five years from being completely built. So that was around 19, uh, 80, I guess, 81 and uh, 82 time frame. And so I stayed with that plan. And it was about that time I was starting to settle down, getting on up around 23, 24. And I decided I wanted something a little different from my life. I uh, had met someone that uh, I felt like was giving me more uh, of a stable uh, uh, community myself and my, being my wife. And uh, so I got very interested in staying on at this facility and of course, I had worked my way through this facility and become someone that was knew everything about this power plant. I mean, I knew where every nut and bolt was. I knew how the equipment run because I got to touch it all. And uh, so being able to learn that through the, the uh, being on site, you know, I got the chance to uh, become a utility worker, which meant I actually went for work for the power company. And I learned a lot of things there. But one of the things I didn't get was the ability to continue to uh, explore more growth because where I hired into was pretty much a routine, everyday job. And uh, and I was one of those individuals that I had to have challenges all the time and uh, to keep myself motivated. And that was kind of what I uh, have always tried to pass on for those that was around me is that life has so many things to offer. You just have to, you know, you just have to reach for it. And so after after the power plant went online, I worked for about a year and then found my way on out into Arizona at a, one of the largest utility nuclear plants in the United States. Interesting. How do you think your kind of career beginnings prepared you for your role now? 
Well, so I got to I got to interface and uh, with a lot of people in the plant, a variety of people that had different backgrounds, uh, you know, from all over the country, different uh, uh, parts of uh, the country that gave them different experiences. And I was able to learn from them. And one of the things that I felt like helped prepare me was that I got to see and and work underneath as a men- mentee of those that, you know, didn't come from my background. You know, they came from business based type of backgrounds. They came from, uh, they came from the Navy. They came from, you know, varieties of the military. They came from other manufacturing. It was very interesting to hear their thoughts on, uh, you know, life itself. And, uh, so I got very interested in that. And, uh, so I started, I would almost say started to emulate some of those behaviors myself. And one of the things that I found was because of my experience in the plant, the amount of knowledge I had in regards to his operating and it was starting to come together. When we would have meetings, I would find myself being very uh, uh, impactful to the conversation because of the fact of everything that I'd been exposed to and everything that I had learned just by being in the facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that. I'm a huge believer in diversity of thought and, and mixing it up with, you know, different people's backgrounds and education levels and experience levels. I, th- I think there's so much that we can learn from each other. If we sit down and we, we have those conversations and create the, that space. What do you think the, the industry maybe needs to uh, inject into it a, a bit more um, to, to help kind of facilitate that and, and ramp that up so that it becomes maybe more common practice than what it is currently. Well, you know, it, in today's environment, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that when when utilities go out to hire, they create this framework of what they're looking for, right? I, you know, in some areas, they call it the purple squirrel, so to speak. I don't know if you've heard of the purple squirrel, but in recruiting organizations, a purple squirrel is, I want somebody that looks like this, right? Well, I'll tell you, there's not a lot of folks out there that look like this. And I'm a big advocate that if I can get somebody that's 50 to 60 percent that looks like this, they have good work ethic. They're curious. You know, they're they uh, they get up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning and ready to hit it. And and they don't mind work until it gets dark. And it's just kind of things that just really energizes them. You can frame that and you can mentor that into, into someone that can have a very fruitful career and constantly be challenged. Uh, in a work environment that is always a learning environment. Yeah, it's it's hard to teach the the work ethic and grit. <laughs> it really it's, is. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, Todd. You know, I've, uh, I've I've had a lot of kids this past through my career, and from from variety of different backgrounds. And of course, you know, kids that have not been exposed to someone that's up in the morning, out outside hitting it. You know, constantly wanting to be outside, wanting to be on the go. Always, always wanting to challenge day, you know, they've raised to get up in the morning, turn on the TV and just watch TV until noon or something like that. But, you know, once you give them something that energizes them, whether it might be a game, whether it might, I'm going to go build something with my hands or I want to see a prop, you know, something that happens, you can really get kids interested and in want to get out and get to work. But it all has to do with how they're raised in the home environment. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that for sure. I think most people are are really seeking and craving that that purpose and 
they're not really finding it in a lot of areas that, that they're they're searching for it. And so if the the construction industry can kind of come along and create a, a good, compelling vision of uh, really clearly communicate what a career path looks like in the industry, I think it has a great story to tell. We're just, we're really not doing it uh, on a mass scale very well right now. Uh, so kind of pivoting some, so vocational training has really started not started. It's been declining for a, a while, you know, with, with training in schools and whatnot. What can parents and communities do to really come around and, and reintroduce this value and, and purpose behind trade work? The biggest thing is about changing people's minds about craft careers. And that it's not a, it's not necessarily an alternative or a fallback. If you can't mm -hmm. find your way into something that you want to do, these are good paying careers. So we got to really change people's thoughts about these types of craft careers and, you know, and what that means. These are, are sustainable, life-changing, life-fulfilling careers that people can get into and really feel like they're making a difference. But we got to be advocating for that and not that it's, you know, a, a fallback. Yeah. That's, that's good. I agree. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's the default position is if you can't make it in, uh, college or, you know, you, you can't do any of that, then, uh, then you go into the trades. It's, it's this, yeah, it's not a first choice thing, which is ridiculous and not true at all. It's a, it's, it's a great career and, um, yeah, it needs to be, be cast in the forefront there for sure. Well, you know, a lot of it starts with having exposure to to, to a discipline in the trades, right? Working mm -hmm. with wood or working with paint or working with metals, or whatever that may look like, working in electrical. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we did a disservice to this industry back in, back in the years when we took shop out of high schools. When I went to high school in the eighth grade, before you got into your high school year, you were exposed to three different areas of vocation. You were exposed to business, you were exposed to home economics, and you were exposed to agriculture. And every one of those had something to do with trying to help focus on what were you interested in, okay? And, of course, the agricultural piece, for me, got me out to be able to work with my hands. You know, It taught me how to weld. It taught me how to build how, uh, dog houses. It taught me how to deal with animals. It taught me how to be outside working with my hands and I really enjoyed it and for mm -hmm. others you know it people that had was interested in accounting or interested in business models or, or whatever it had to do with home economics whether it was being a chef or working in the tourism business whatever that may be you know we we've we've taken that away from the kids to get exposed to that kind of offering and in, in high school and after high school and that's really where we have to get back. And I tell you, Todd, a lot of it has to do with with uh, with educating parents, because I can tell you, parents today, you know, young parents today, they do not know what the world has to offer when it comes to other opportunities outside of tourism, uh, you know, food, uh, uh, working in big department stores or department warehouses, they because those things are being built around them, they don't see these power plants that are tucked away off in less, you know, uh, less uh, uh, areas that are not highly populated because they just don't see it. And those are very, uh, those are very good careers there. They're energizing, they pay well, 
and uh, it gives it gives people today, you know, something and they can see past what's right in front of them. Yeah. So how do we better communicate that? Because I, I agree that I think that's a huge hurdle is the the communication aspect of it. That uh, so much of the industry is kind of kept off on the side as this this great kept secret, but we need people coming into this space too. So how do we communicate that better and, and kind of debunk some of the, the stigmatism and, um, you know, misconceptions that are, are happening? Well, a, a good example would be, and I'll just give you for the nuclear environment. So many people are afraid of nuclear environment because everything they've heard, right? They've heard and they've seen on TV, their influence has been what they've seen on TV. They've seen Chernobyl. They've seen, uh, what's, what's happened in, uh, Japan, you know, they've seen that three mile island and that's what, that's how they see nuclear right now. But what they don't see is that nuclear plant that's right outside their backyard and how safe it's operating. Matter of fact, it's operating so safe under the radar, they may not even know it's there. I can tell you, I've worked at several nuclear facilities across the U.S. and you can walk into just about any community area and ask them where their power is being generated from and they could not tell you because they do not know that a nuclear facility is in their backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, nuclear is probably providing somewhere around 27, 28% of the uh, United States power grid operation and is consistently increasing because of clean and green energy. The biggest thing that we can do is education, talk about it in our communities, talk about it in our churches, talk about it at the baseball games, you know, uh, invite executives from power facilities into your community, into your church, and things like that, and talk about that. Uh, I've worked with several large utilities that have taken that stance because of the fact they're looking for uh, community support, especially when we were going through that stage of, you know, uh, the you know the environment was looking to take nuclear out because everybody felt that it was so unsafe. You started seeing more of the larger utilities, uh, Arizona Public Service, Duke Energy, Dominion Energy, starting to really advertise safe, clean energy and what it's doing to provide safe, clean energy in the future and get more, get more community support from behind it. Hey, innovators, do you want to help inspire the next generation of architects, engineers, and builders? Applied Software Great Tech Group does too. In fact, they have launched a scholarship contest and need your help spreading the word. If you know any students or teachers who could benefit from the contest, tell them to visit asti.com slash AEC scholarship for more information. Applied Great Tech is giving away over $1,000 to help students pursue their dreams. And we need your help to make it happen. So what are you waiting for? Let's make a difference together. Yeah. So kind of on that vein, what can companies, well, how can companies really get involved with working with the high schools, working with the technical schools to create this support around workforce education and, and bringing people into the industry? Well, there's a couple of things and there's a couple of call to actions that, that, you know, these, uh, executives can do to engage in their community. Number one is they can get on the political agenda and start supporting some of these uh, bills 
that uh, help fund education in the community and really advertise that, really push that down in the community around uh, nuclear, hydrogen, you know, whatever, whatever energy source may be, wind, solar, you know, we'll talk specifically around nuclear because I believe that's the, that's the wave of the future. But especially as you start to see uh, a lot of the new technologies around advanced reactors, uh, advanced reactor technology has been around for a very, very long time. It's just not been in a commercial sector. It's always been in, a, in the military. But now that they're bringing it into the commercial sector to provide clean energy, uh, you know, carbon-free energy, you know, advertising, talking about it, having having it on TV where people can see it. That's the biggest call to action there is uh, supporting bills to get it to get energy jobs back in the schools and having community uh, discussions uh, to talk about the fact of how clean it is, how green it is, and how carbon-free the energy is. Yeah, very cool. And I, I understand that you went in front of the Nebraska legislature recently. Uh, how do you feel uh, government officials are, are looking to the industry members? So what can they help with? How How is that experience? Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I'll tell you, that was my first time at being able to do something like that at that level. So uh, so I was a little uh, apprehensive about it because I didn't really know what to expect. But I will tell you, as I went through that and some of the things that we pointed out to Nebraska in regards to trying to fund education careers around energy, one of the things that we told them, and we had some Nebraska Public Power District executives in the room, and, when, and of course, we were one of the largest employers in Nebraska at their nuclear facility. And when I told them that we were employing around 10% of Nebraska residents to come in and work at their facility, that number was amazing to them. They did not realize that. And it was only because Nebraska is a big agricultural state, right? And all of their focus is around agriculture, corn, uh, uh, produce, uh livestock and but now now that they have such a big power facility they really get it now and they said you know we should be and of course they did ask us they said you know what should we be expecting i said you should be able to when we start doing your refueling i said if we can't put 35 to 45 percent of nebraska residents working at your facility you're really missing out on a great economic upside of where you're spending your money yeah. Interesting. How well, can other companies really kind of embrace it in their own area? And where do they go to, to really start that conversation? Uh, well, number one, write to your write to your legislator, your congressman, your senator. Talk to them about, you know, funding education in their state, creating uh, energy type curriculums. Uh, you know, it all starts. It all starts with who's representing your state. Yeah. Uh, so outside of the uh, legislature and the the political aspect of it, how do uh, construction owners and and executives? What's their responsibility for really getting involved with the the workforce development? Why is that important? Well. A couple of things is that construction companies that are looking to employ skilled trades folk have to make sure that skilled trades are being taught in their in their state, in their communities. So 
being able to challenge school boards to have uh, skilled trades as a primary focus for you know students that come in that want to learn how to work with their hands. I'll give an example of uh, a skilled trades person that that comes from a college that's that's you know they they spent four years doing accounting or they went into some kind of a business model and they still haven't found their way, but a skilled trades person that comes out and they're either a welder or they're an electrician, typically that takes two to three years to learn that and be proficient at it. I mean, those those folks come out and ready to go work for a company when a uh, college student that has spent four years in college would necessarily have you know anywhere from a, you know, an 80 to a $90,000 debt these trades folks are coming out and making eighty to ninety thousand dollars their first year salary, mm-hmm. right? And so, being able to leverage those communication pieces, like, do you want to come out of, of a trade and 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 make this kind of salary to be able to start, you know, being, uh, you know, start a family and be productive in your community, or do you want to be working somewhere where you're having to pay off takes you a couple of years to pay off your school debt? But the biggest thing that construction companies can do is just challenge their local communities to ensure that skilled trades are available in the local schools. Yeah. What do you think the some of the hurdles are that we need to overcome? Because it is such a great message and power, huh? as you just laid out there, of you can you know, be young in your 20s and, and come out and make an great living and have a great career path with lots of opportunity and not have all the the debt uh, as people that that come out of college do. What's the, what's the hurdle and what's the the breakdown in really getting that, that message across? Well, you know, in my experience, the hurdle been so far has been communication and people even know that those opportunities are out there. Uh, We've, we've been to several community colleges uh, resource recruiting for, for disciplines and just getting our name out there for entry-level skills. And, you know, what we're finding is that the majority of the students that go to these vocational and technical college aren't even aware that there's a great paying jobs available not that far from them. And they're concentrating on things that, you know, that they believe right front of them, like, you know, business or accounting. And there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, those are very good skilled trades if you find the right job. But I think the biggest hurdle for us is making sure the schools are advocating for skilled trades, you know, and, uh, and they only do that from the uh, requisitioning of the community. The community has to come in and say, we need skilled trades to be taught at our local schools, because if we don't, our kids will grow up out of high schools and they will have to leave the community to go find successful careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. What kind of things are you all doing at Dane Zimmerman to to help in this effort and, and reach out to the community? Well, across the nation, variety of different places, Arizona, Mississippi, Virginia, the Carolinas, down in Georgia, South Carolina, you know, we are actively engaging with high schools and vocational colleges to uh, to tell them that we have jobs. And when we go walk and we walk into these schools and tell them we have jobs, you know, they ask us, what can we do to help fulfill your job? Well, we need curriculums in your school where we're teaching people how to uh, be a master carpenter or be a welder or be an electrician or instrument technician, whatever those skilled trades are. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, if you guys, if the schools can advocate for those type of disciplines, when those, when the uh, graduating classes come out of that, we have jobs for them. Uh, we also have uh, jobs outside of high schools. You know, we're starting to find that even though we've been into some of the vocational and technical colleges, we're starting to find that we have to get down into high school levels and sometimes even in the middle school levels to start creating the message that there are great jobs in your community that you can have and not have to leave your community, whether it's welding, whether it's painting, whether it's electrical, you know, heating and ventilation, whatever that skill trade may be. There's jobs available in your local community if you want to stay here, but we have to be able to teach it here. Yeah. I love that. What do you see the kind of the future landscape of the industry looking like over the, the next five years or so? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. So in the next five years, we're going to struggle right now. We are, um, I mean, if you take a look at where the construction industry is currently, we are about 540,000 employees short of filling the construction need. And that's today. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that, that is without, you know, the, the new bills of small module reactors as without the bills of advanced reactors is coming into the future. And we will see those in the next decade. We will see small module reactors. We will see green energy and clean energy sources over the next decade. And if we don't find our way to start getting, you know, the, uh, the, the folks that are in our community skilled up to support those jobs, we will find ourselves. We will find ourselves uh, stopping the build of, of the new small mod reactors because we just don't have people to do it, or we'll have mm -hmm. to outsource it to uh, you know to uh, other countries to kind of provide that for us. Mm -hmm. Do you see a, a kind of technical trend or innovation happening to kind of help offset the labor shortage? I do. You know. Um, so from that perspective, you know, technology is changing every day. Uh, currently right now for us to turn someone out to be a proficient, elig eligible journeyman, it typically takes anywhere from three to five years. And that's what we continue to tell the country that in order to become a proficient journeyman and to be employable, you need three to five years of experience, right? Well, today with the access to information that we have so quickly, and the fact that we're using technology to improve our skill sets, whatever it may be, measuring and test equipment, you know, orbital welding, a variety of different other tooling that allows our jobs to be easier. We have to bring that technology to the schools. Because I tell you, the, the, the kids in schools today, they're starving for that kind of technology, right? And uh, it's, it's kind of that work smarter versus harder thing, right? Yeah. The, For sure. We have to be able to innovate the schools to invest in those kind of technologies and to be able to teach that so we can turn out these proficient, eligible craft folk uh, quicker and get them into good paying jobs, you know, jobs that provide them good careers and are constantly challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the technology piece is interesting. It's it's one of the things that I, I talk a lot about with people that aren't in the, the industry, that there is way more tech in this space than, than what people on the outside really think or, or give credit for. Same with innovation. There's so many incredible creative problem solving and really cool things happening here in the space. And 
we focus a lot about innovation on the show here. Um, what does innovation, what does that really mean to you? Well, in, in innovation, it's all about the next generation, right? It's about being able to provide them the tools and the information where it helps make their jobs easier. And part of that is, you know, finding smarter ways to go get work done, right? And innovation is part of that. I, I constantly tell people that's around me is that it's not that we're not surrounded by innovative opportunities. It's people do not know how to bring their thought out and, and create an innovative concept because they just don't know the pathway of how to mm -hmm. do it. I was having discussions with folks earlier today where we were talking about some innovation. And they were talking about some pretty great things about a training opportunity and how it would make their jobs easier. And I said, you know, right there is exactly what I'm talking about. I said, the fact that we've made training easier for someone through computer-based training or whatever it may be, that is innovative thought. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved what you said just then of knowing the, the right pathway to make innovation happen. I, I think that's, that's spot on there, that it's uh, a lot of times innovation is the simplest idea, but then in our minds, we, we try to complicate getting that to a reality when really the, the simplicity is what makes it innovative and we need to strip out all the, the complexities to, to really bring it to, to market or, you know, to fruition. Well, how do people find out more information and connect with you? Well, I, uh, so, uh, you know, I have a, I have a, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, I'm James Chestnut's my name spelled C-H-E-S-N-U-T. You can reach me on LinkedIn. Also, we have a, uh, you know, we have an app that you can download on your phone. It's called DZ, uh, it's called DZ Job Links. And uh, you can find that. And that is a, a great opportunity for people to, to see exactly, you know, what's out there. Because on DZ Job Links, we have all of our jobs that's available. We have our crafts that are available. And we have the opportunity to, uh, to uh, apply for an opportunity. We have DayZim.com. You know, people can go to the website, they can search, search our website and see everything that we have that's available to them. And then uh, I think that's pretty much about it. Awesome. I'd love to learn more about the app. Why did you all create uh, an app for the, the uh, trade jobs here? Well, we started this app about two years ago, and it was really more of a thought and I, I continued to impress upon people is that, you know, in the past, you know, people used to be able to pick up the telephone. You'd be able to talk to them. You say, hey, I got a job for you. Well, guess what? People do so much now call screening and there's so much phishing and scams through the telephone as people will not pick up a phone anymore if an, with an unknown number. Right. Yeah. I said, so how do people communicate? They communicate through social media. They communicate through electronics, you know, websites. I said, so we got to find a way to communicate to people where they can, through their own, you know, uh, ability to search for information where they're not, they don't feel like they're being, you know, captured somewhere and concerned about being scammed. So uh, we created this DZ job link where people can go in and search without putting any credentials in. They can see what's out there. They can look up its credibility. They can make phone calls to even validate and verify that these opportunities exist. Hmm. And so they can do all of that without being, uh, 
held hostage by being able to, you know, answer a telephone number that they don't recognize. Yeah. I love that. Innovation in practice right there. That's awesome. Uh, final question for you. If I could give you all construction power, you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing in the industry. What would you pick to innovate? I would, I would pick to innovate, find ways to get, uh, people through the skilled crafts quicker by using access to information, by using uh, uh, new technologies for tools. We have to find a way to get people from wanting a career to having a career quicker. Mm -hmm. It's a great answer. It's a great answer. Great way to end the episode. James, thanks so much for taking the time and, and coming on the show today. You bet. Thank you. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take. The value of mentoring with diversity of thought in mind is massive. When we open ourselves up to create the space to learn from others with different thought processes, background, and experiences, we truly are able to up-level ourselves and those around us. Second take, I encourage everyone in the construction industry to get involved with sharing the amazing opportunity that exists here. There's a great story to tell but we need to lock arms and tell it to those outside. And final take, if you have a great innovative idea, do not be afraid to share it and create the pathway to make it a reality. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software Great Tech Group at asdi.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software, great tech group production, copyright applied software, great tech group, 2023.